This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Hi, guys. Today, we got a special guest on the podcast. His name is Dale Partridge. So Dale is an author, preacher, entrepreneur, and church reformer. He is the president of Relearn.org, which is a house church planning ministry, and Reformation Seminary, which kind of you know feeds into Relearn, which we talked about a lot in the podcast. He conducted his graduate studies at Western Seminary and the Master's Seminary, and also Grace Bible Theological Seminary, and he's also the author of several Christian books. We'll get into one of them you know, prominently today, and he's the host of the Real Christianity Podcast and the teaching pastor at Reformation Fellowship in Sedona, Arizona. So the guy's got stuff going on, right? So he's got a lot of irons in the fire. He's even got a new company that we're going to be talking about today on the podcast. It's called Mail the Gospel. To kind of give you a little bit of a peek behind the curtain before he explains it, it's like gospel tracks that don't suck. Right, anyone that grew up in the church, even though I didn't, I'm at least well aware of gospel tracks and how a lot of them were pretty corny and pretty low quality. He kind of talks about how they're working to kind of change all that. But he also has a new book out, which we spend the last half of the podcast talking about, called "The Manliness of Christ: How the Masculinity of Jesus Eradicates Effeminate Christianity." So, are you guys still questioning why I'm having him on the show? I mean, this is exactly tailor made for you guys. I'm not going to keep him from you any longer. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Dale Partridge, welcome to Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Hey, brother. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited for you to be here as well. You've got a lot of these coming up because you got some cool things that are launching soon, which we'll get to here in just a second. But you have kind of an interesting track in terms of your career. So you began, as far as I understand, so feel free to correct the record if I get any of this wrong. You began as kind of a startup business guy, entrepreneur. You know, you had a little bit of an athletic background as well that didn't quite pan out. But then you popped into the reformed Christian scene, but you still kind of got that entrepreneurial bug and you're still doing all these things and this thing and that thing. So in a 30,000 foot view experience, how about you kind of take us through kind of how you got to where you are today? Yeah. Most guys go from ministry to business, not business to ministry. That's generally the trend. And, um, I, I was in the business world. And when I say that I was in the business world, I was just about as deep as you can get uh, was on the cover of Entrepreneur Magazine, featured in Forbes, Fortune, uh, you know, almost every major outlet. I was. I wrote a book called People Over Profit. I wrote a book called Launch Your Dream. I wrote a book called Save from Success. I, I uh, before you know Facebook and all the kind of crazy agenda that's going on with identity politics were there. I opened up um, as uh, the opener for the tenth anniversary Facebook conference for the 10th anniversary of the social network in San Francisco with all 10,000 of their employees, I was asked to open up for Mark Zuckerberg to talk about our story as a company and how we use Facebook. So, I mean, when I say what I was in the business world, I was mm -hmm. way in. And, um, and it was a really fun experience. The Lord had blessed us with uh, a really great journey of building a large multi-million dollar company. We had about 50 employees and that was just one of many companies that I had started. And uh, you know, I remember hearing a quote that goes something like this. Once you get to the top, you realize there's nothing there. Mm. Uh, and, and that was uh, a compelling reality for me as I started to realize that, you know, once you make a certain amount of money, more money doesn't matter. Uh, you know, once you make $250,000 a year, you can really do almost the exact same stuff as somebody that makes $5 million a year. 
you can go to the same restaurants, you can take basically the same vacations, you know. Um, and so I, I realized I, I started losing my my the wind in my sails for making more money. I was really struggling with, well, I have a legacy to leave. This is going on in my life. Like, what am I going to do with my time? I have one life to live. And I, I didn't know what was going to happen. I, I decided that uh, I, I obviously was a Christian. I was going to church. I was getting involved in my church more and more. And the Lord had just continued to impress upon me a greater and greater desire to know the word of God. And so that was kind of coming in collision with my business dreams. And I, I uh, sold a couple companies. We, we paid off our house. We, we you know, got some rental properties. We, we did some right things with our money. And the Lord uh, called me into ministry uh, in 2016. I was starting to feel this kind of deep, uh, I couldn't suppress this urge to get into ministry. And I, uh, I sold a company called StartupCamp.com that I tried selling for the previous year and I couldn't get it done. I finally gave up and then the Lord sold it for me. It was absolutely remarkable. I don't have time for the story, but it was just like, okay, that was God. Um, the day I sold it, I actually got uh, an email from a gentleman who runs one of the biggest uh, media companies. I'm not going to name names, media companies uh, in the world asking if they could buy it and I would come with it. And I said, hey, man, I just really feel like the Lord's leading me into ministry. I feel like this is kind of the end of that era, and I'm going in to serve the Lord full time. And he said, well, how about I offer you a million dollars a year, and I want you to come down here and, and talk about it. And I was absolutely in conflict, dumbfounded, completely uh, frustrated, and, and trying to figure out, God, what is this? I was basically invited to the big boys table that I've been wanting to be invited to for a long time. And, and here's my opportunity. And it's right after it was so evidently clear that I was to be called into ministry. Uh, I spent a couple weeks praying for that. Um, uh, the Lord clarified it in, in such a, a, a clear way that you, you, I couldn't even, um, it, it was just unremarkable or it was remarkable on how that happened. But I don't have time. I, I'll talk about that way too much if I, if I start rabbit trailing. But we... Um, I ended up calling the gentleman. I said, Hey, thank you so much for the offer, but I, I just can't do it. And I went into ministry at that point. Um, everything started to get very tough. I got sick. Uh, I've been chronically ill now for about four or five years um, from a variety of different things. First time ever dealing with that in my life. Um, I went to seminary. I went to uh, Western Seminary for a year. Then I went over to the Master Seminary with John MacArthur for a couple of years. Then I went to Grace Bible Theological Seminary with uh, Owen Strand and uh, Dr. Jeffrey Johnson. Uh, finished out my my um, uh, my uh, graduate studies there, and started planting a church. Started relearn.org, um, and man, it has been nothing but difficult to be to be honest. Um, it's been nothing but joyful uh, to be honest. Um, and now we've been in ministry since 2017 full-time. So we're going on about five years of that. And, uh, and yeah, so th there's a blend. I basically am an entrepreneur, uh, called into ministry. And so I've been, you know, there's a little bit of Mi Mr. Miyagi, like, mm -hmm. you know, what, what was I doing in my entrepreneur time? But I was learning how to manage an organization, lead people, understand finance, understand organizational ops, you know, strategy all of this that I've now been able to use and apply in uh, the nonprofit space. Um, and so 
we're living a very different life now. Uh, you know, we, we live on very little uh, in comparison. It was embarrassing how much, how many years it took for us to change our lifestyle from living large to living humble. Um, and uh, it, it was, it was, yeah, it was a, kind of a sad reality. My wife and I still talk about how painful it was to come off of that, um, making so much money now to being really a servant. And so, but we, I feel like we're here now and we're, we're five years in and we're ready to serve the Lord. We've been trained um, and we're absolutely loving every bit of it, even though we um, have had much, much suffering and much difficulty on the way. When it seems like you, you've had to do a lot of foundational work. So if you've ever done any type of a building project, obviously we know this, this is also scriptural. If you have a terrible foundation, you will have a terrible structure. But even when you were talking about when you get to the top of the mountain, you realize there's not a whole lot there. I remember the story when Deion Sanders, like, you know, one of the best athletes on the planet, you know, his team just won the Super Bowl. And after he got back to the hotel, uh, after the Super Bowl, he just completely broke down because he's like, this is the pinnacle. Like, this is the pinnacle of my athletic achievement. I'm the, I'm the best athlete on the best football team in the world and there's nothing here and a lot of people have kind of had that attack of conscience but then a lot of people just kind of double down on uh trying to get to the next pinnacle to to win again so get to the next peak or something like that so it's interesting the road that you took now you did mention relearn.org and so uh you established that to help strengthen biblical literacy in the church but also to help plant house churches and then that's also tied into reformation seminary which you run which kind of equips the people to do that work of planting house churches do I, do I have that straight i mean if i don't you know correct the record but then you know kind of give us an idea of relearn.org and reformation seminary yeah so relearn i, I basically realized that in the american church especially you know, just church in the west generally there is a massive biblical and theological illiteracy in the church uh, most people don't know what they believe. Uh, you know, I, a quote that I often say is that if you believe wrong, you'll never live strong. Um, the, the, what, what we believe really does matter. Uh, most people can't defend their faith. Most people don't know the basic questions of like a children's catechism. If I asked you, why is it vital that God is, or that Jesus is fully God and fully man? Most Christians can't answer that question. Most Christians can't defend the importance of a virgin birth. And, and so this is a problem. And this is the reason why westernized Christianity is so weak. Uh, we don't know what we're defending. We don't even know what we believe. Uh, it's not precious to us. Uh, we don't have a theological depth and comprehension. We don't study. We might read our Bible. And if we do, it's, it's you know, the Bible app and it's, you know, a couple minutes in the morning. But we're not into this kind of theological rigor or uh, academic rigor. And I think about the first and greatest commandment that Jesus says is to love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is that we often leave out that last piece that we're not actually exercising the love of God with our minds. And so we have this costless, empty-headed Christianity that doesn't really confront the theological and academic rigor required to know God. I mean, it says, let the, uh, in Jeremiah, I think it's chapter nine, it says, let not the, the, the rich man boast in his riches or the mighty man boast in his might, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. And so knowing the Lord, right? This is the, you, you know, you might've heard like the great mission statement of Christian life is basically to know God and make him known. And so we need to be willing to actually put in the hours. Uh, and this is a quote that I often tell people is that I say, hey, it's not how many years you've known the Lord, it's how many hours. I can know the Lord at a greater degree if I just spend more hours than the guy that's known him for 50 years, but doesn't put in the time, doesn't put in the prayer life, doesn't put in the devotion, doesn't put in the praise, doesn't put in the study. And so uh, I've realized that there's just a problem there of applying ourselves. We're distracted. 
We can't be, we're not focused. Um, and so I wanted to create relearn.org as a, as a place where we talk about theological literacy, get down to the basics, understand like some of the historic statements of faith, like the 1689 or the Westminster Confession, letting us have some real theological depth and, um, and you know, basically making those complex things uh, palatable, accessible, simple to understand. Um, and the Lord has, uh, has uh, really given me a passion and a heart to, to help people with that. And that's why I went to school. I was in seminary for five years. Uh, I'm still doing, I'm probably going to get my doctorate. And, and it's this, this passion of really understanding the complexity and figuring out a way that I can help people understand. You know, there's a quote that says, uh, if they knew what you knew, they would do as you do. And I think there's a lot of a transition of information that needs to occur. But again, when you have churches that are doing, you know, TEDx talk style, you know, preaching, and you're not actually having a, a, a real, you know, deep discussion uh, of exp expository preaching from the pulpit, most Christians, again, don't have that depth. So that was started really to start uh, basically be a teaching ministry of what we're doing here and provide theological and biblical depth. Um, our, our tagline is back to the Bible. Let's just get back to the Bible. Let's talk about it. Um, and then, um, you know, I've been, it's kind of a shocking reality is that I, I love the traditional church. I'm a big fan of the traditional church, especially if there are thriving, healthy, biblical mm -hmm. churches led by men who are actually have a spine. Um, but when you, um, you know, when you look at the church today, there's still a lot of problems, right? It's, it's 10 feet wide. It's one inch deep in most cases. Um, it becomes a little bit more like consumer Christianity versus contributor Christianity. I don't, I don't remember who said it, but someone said uh, going to church should be less like going to the movies and more like going to the gym. Uh, the problem is, is that it's like going to the movies. So we have what, what I call inactive spectator Christianity or audience Christianity. Right. And, and a lot of the guys don't have the ability to actually engage because they're just actually stuck in, um, uh, in just, you know, a pew listening on and, you know, we're all surrounded by, you know, 400 people surrounded by one man. And so I was really struggling with, is there a, is there a more fruitful way? Is that, what's the biblical example for church? And so I started doing some history and some research looking about what was the most fruitful expression of the church throughout church history. There's really two eras that come to mind. It's the early church, the first couple hundred years, and then the reformation era, uh, in the Puritan era, right after like the 1500s. And so those two eras I looked at and I was like, what, what's so special about these eras? Uh, and they were gathering in homes or very small communities of faith. I mean, right. very small communities of, of churches. I mean, less than 50 people. And, um, and so, uh, I, and they were out of a, a state of persecution. They were out of a, their position of defense. Their eschatology was more optimistic than pessimistic. Um, so there's a handful of things, but the house church thing really stuck to me. And I go, when you think of a house church, house church has a bad brand. I mean, most house churches I would call heresy factories. They're really not that great. They're glorified Bible studies, people that are elitist, people that have detached themselves from church history. Uh, they're nonconformists um, and, and they're not confessional Christianity. That, that's generally the trend about house church. But I thought, how do we create biblical, reformed, doctrinally sound house churches? And so we've been doing that. We've been a part of one for about eight years. I've been pastoring one for about five years and uh, we've been planting them as a school. So we started Reformation Seminary. We've had 70 men, uh, yeah, 75 men uh, go through that program now, uh, graduated two classes now. It's a one-year program, um, how to plant and pastor and preach at a, at a uh, biblical house church. And that's at reformationseminary.com. It's basically a missionary training program for guys who are already qualified, called, 
to preach. Meaning these are godly men, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1 kind of dudes that are ready to go. I just need the training. I just haven't been theologically trained. And so we give those guys the training. We send them out to plant house churches in our network, which is called Reformation Fellowship. And so this is still kind of early on. Uh, we're, we're still kind of building the plane as we're flying it. But man, it is, a, it is an awesome journey. And, and the Lord uh, is doing some great stuff with uh, biblical house churches. Well, I appreciate you getting into all that detail, and I wish we had time today to go into even more detail into that. Maybe we can get into that uh, down the road a bit. But with all these irons in the fire, Dale, you decide to put some more irons in the fire here recently. And so uh, you have a new thing that you're, you're going to be launching, and I don't want to take any of the sting out of it. So I want you to tell our audience about it, because guys, if you're listening to this on time, this is now available to the greater marketplace. So Dale, go. Amen. So here, before I, before I tell you, and I want to kind of put some tension here, I want to bring some, some clarity. So guys that are putting too many irons in the fire that are compromising their family, not cool, right? right. Uh, people ask me all the time, how do, you, how do you do this? How do you have so many things? Um, you know, Doug Wilson is another man, has tons of things going on. John MacArthur, if you look at his life, he's got so many things going on. Mm -hmm. R.C. Sproul, we look at his life, so many things going on, S different schools and ministries and books and writing and conferences. And, and, um, the way you do that is you build a team, right? So that you can outsource and you can show that you can have leadership and, and delegate. And that's what we've been doing here. We've been able to build a small team. We've been able to get a good support of donors that support the vision and the mission of what we're doing and guys that can help carry out these massive projects. Now, this next massive project really came out of a problem. Now there's a problem in the church and men, I want you to listen up here. Okay, so uh, the best problems to solve are urgent, required, and painful problems. Uh, if you're going to start a business or solve a problem or start a ministry, you need to figure out if you're solving an urgent, required, and painful problem. The reason toilet paper is so successful is because why? It solves an urgent, required, and painful problem, right? Uh, nobody wants to wipe their butt with their hand. And so um, we need to think about how are we going to do this um, in the way we approach business, in the way that we approach ministry. So we, we saw an urgent, required, and painful problem. I, I was thinking about how many Christians actually share the gospel. And I, 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 we did some stats. We looked at some other uh, statistics and studies, and it's a really sad number. About 3 to 10%, depending on the study that you reach uh, or that you look at, 3 to 10% of Christians will share the gospel with somebody at least once per year. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about sharing your faith, talking about the Bible, or mentioning Jesus. I'm talking a bad news, good news gospel, a real gospel. You were born into sin. You were born under the law. The law is the Ten Commandments. You failed to keep them. You're under God's wrath. You need to be forgiven. If you're not forgiven, you'll go to hell. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ alone. Like a, a real gospel. That gospel doesn't get preached that often by about 10% or less of Christians. And so I was going, okay, why is that? Like, what, what's the problem that we can't have the Great Commission fulfilled because 10% of Christians are the only ones engaging? And, and so if we want to see the West uh, get out of the, the, um, this moral downturn and this collapse of, of all things that are good, um, the only way to repair that is the gospel. I know we need to, we need we definitely need to confront evil. Uh, you know, I forgot what it says in Proverbs, but the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. We need to confront evil. We need to uh, to stand up for the righteousness of God, the moral law of God. We need to condemn what is wrong. But at the same time, you need to go upstream because you if you just talk about what's wrong, 
but you don't change the heart, you have a problem because the only way to change the way that people behave is to change the heart, right? So the gospel doesn't just change what you do. It changes what you want to do. It changes the affections of men's hearts. And so we need to get the gospel out there primarily. So yes, confront evil. But if you don't get the gospel out there, the evil's not going to stop. You're going to create a bunch of legalists, a bunch of moralists, a bunch of religious people at best, but you'll never change the culture unless you change the heart. And the only way to change the heart is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I go, we got to get the great commission out. How do we do this when we only when 90% of the Christians aren't engaged? And so I thought, I wanted to find out what was stopping them. And we found out that there was really three reasons stopping men and women from sharing the gospel. Number one is they're afraid of rejection. Um, and to be honest, guys, the best of us are afraid of rejection. Okay, the apostle Paul would sometimes struggle with these things um, and he would still be faithful, but he talks about this. I mean, this is a difficult thing to share the gospel, to tell somebody that, that they're condemned, that they're a sinner and that they're, they're on their way to hell if they don't repent in Jesus Christ. I mean, it's good news, but you have to understand that it's only good news because the bad news is so bad. And so we have to be willing to share the bad news, good news gospel. Now, we're afraid of the rejection. So that's number one. We're afraid of the rejection of man, the, the persecution of man, the, the uh, frustration of man, the anger of man. Number two is that we're afraid that we are not theologically equipped uh, to prepare and present an eloquently uh an eloquent presentation of the gospel. Right. We, we go, I've never been trained. I know what the gospel is at a, at a surface level, but I, you know, man, I don't know if I can actually get up on stage and preach it or get in a conversation with someone and preach a full gospel presentation. And again, this is another failure of the Western church. We need to train individuals how to preach the gospel. Um, the third reason is that people are afraid of the apologetic questions that come as a result of a gospel proclamation moment, right? So they're afraid of, you know, moral relativism and the big bang theory. And what about the dinosaurs or whatever, right? They're, they're just afraid of those discussions coming at them and they're not prepared to give answers for it. Um, and so those three reasons, right? You got rejection, you got fear of, of uh, not being equipped and you have uh, the apologetic questions. You layer those on top of each other and you go, wow, that's a pretty compelling reason to not preach the gospel. And so we go, all right, we have to solve the problem. How do, how do we get and permit the 90% of Christians that want to share the gospel, but don't, a way to do so. And so uh, we created a, a website called mailthegospel.org. And basically what this is, is that we, we created a handful of tracks. Now, when you hear the word tracks, if you've been in the Christian world for some time, tracks have a really bad brand, okay? Right. Most tracks are really ugly. Uh, they're really they're either long or too short or they're doom and gloom or they're Jesus loves everybody and you just need to be loved. Whatever it is, it, very few tracks have been like, wow, that's a really good track. The other thing is that most tracks are unpersonalized, meaning that they are, um, they're written in, in a third person perspective versus um, historically, when you look at conversion in the church, most people are converted by preaching. So we went out and we said, hey, we want to create tracks that are basically like sermons. Okay. Um, and we want them to be not too short, not too long, but they can be re read in about eight to 12 minutes. Uh, that means they're thorough enough to get a full gospel presentation across, um, but not so deep that you're going into you know, a hundred page book. Um, we also wanted to make these things beautiful because again, most tracks are printed. It's like 
someone says, hey, let's put the most beautiful and most important message on earth on the crappiest paper we could find. <laughs> right. Okay. It's, yeah. it's terrible. So we wanted to create beautiful tracks with beautiful design, beautiful paper. They're four by six. They're, they're easy. They're, they're, they're something that you don't want to throw away. Like when you receive them, it's not like trash. Uh, most tracks are like, oh, this is designed for the trash can. Um, mm-hmm. this, these tracks are designed for your shelf. And so we wanted to be able to create a way for anybody to send, to mail one of these gospel tracks. Now, these gospel tracks have been theologically reviewed by our board. Uh, we have a, a, some incredible men. Uh, several of them have their doctorates in theology, uh, incredible uh, minds that we went and scrutinized and looked at this thing and tore it apart and put it together to make sure these tracks were, were solid, tight, raw, real, uh, historical uh, with sound doctrine. And so now... Getting back to this whole thing. And sorry, I'm rambling, Kyle, but- No, you're good. You're good. Go for it. Um, so if you land on the website, you go mailthegospel.org, you can basically land there, enter your information, and then you can choose which tract you'd like to send. We have a couple different tracks. You can read them on our website. Um, you choose the tract you want to send. You can then enter the recipient's mailing address. So now you get to figure out who you want to send this to. You can send it to multiple individuals. You can send it to just one. Now, the best thing is you can personalize it, which we suggest, or you can send it anonymously which are, there are very unique circumstances where you're going to send it anonymously. You might have a brother-in-law in in your family that's living a different lifestyle than you, and you've already shared the gospel with him. And to be honest, if you shared it again, he's not going to listen just because you shared it. Um, And there's those moments where you get to go, I'd like to send the gospel to him and, and just send it anonymously. And so we have that option for you. However, we do want you to personalize it if you can, because we don't want to replace evangelism. We want to nurture it. We want to help you get comfortable uh, with evangelizing and using this as a tool. The best thing also after this is you can actually add a Bible to your order. So we, we partnered up with Crossway. They give us a, a stellar deal on Bibles. You could basically um, you could basically send a Bible for like 10 bucks, like a, a full ESV, thin line, Old Testament, New Testament Bible for 10 bucks. So you got like a, a gospel track, which is a couple bucks, um, and you got the Bible and then the shipping it's like 20 bucks or less. You can mail the gospel to anyone you want to. Um, and it doesn't end there. Um, Kyle, actually, I'll stop. You can ask me more questions and I'll, I'll tell you more about the tracks. Well, so you answered a couple of those, like what is the cost? Do you do like a monthly subscription? Is this a subscription model? Or are you buying them you know, at one at a time? So you're basically buying them itemized, right? Just one at a time as you send them out, correct? Correct. So <clears throat> my question isn't as much about the mechanics of the website and about the idea because the idea makes sense because I remember when I became a Christian when I was like in junior high, high school and I was like, oh, these tracks, like, okay, this is what Christians walk around with. Like I thought people carried money in their wallets, but these people carry these tracks and everyone's on fire. But then, you know, there was this bridge made out of the cross wood and now they're not going to die. It's like, okay, made sense. But if you were a little bit deeper or a little bit, had your brain been more developed, it probably wouldn't have landed the way that you would have wanted to. I guess part of me is I'm the type of guy that loves when things are hard. Certain things. There are certain things like this morning, I spent 45 minutes yelling at my lawnmower because I couldn't fix the thing I needed to fix. I wanted that to be really easy. But when it comes to like exercise, I want it to be brutal. And if there is a, a hiking route that is more brutal than the one we're currently on. That's the one I want to do. And so I kind of have that inkling as a man. I want that resilience training. I want that grit. And you only get that when there's heavy resistance. And so I know you know how to answer this, but I got to ask it because I know my guys are going to ask it. Are we making it too easy? 
Are we making it to where we're, we're allowing people to stay in their little Christian cocoon where they can just like, okay, I'm going to hide down here, but you know, behind my microphone. And then I'm going to, I'm going to shoot, I'm going to shoot the gospel over to somebody. And then I'm going to duck down and hope they never talk to me again. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it makes a ton of sense. You know, it's one of those things that this, again, we don't want to replace evangelism. We want to nurture it. And the reality is, is that some of you men need to actually read this tract yourself means that you need to actually understand what the gospel is. You, you might be saved, but you, you, you actually can't comprehend the vital importance of penal substitutionary atonement. Um, you, you need to understand that, that God has become, Christ has become your righteousness and that it's been imputed to you by faith. You give him your sin, he gives you his righteousness. You, you need to understand some of these killer uh, points of the gospel that are oh, like just you know, punch in the gut moments when you realize them. Now, um, uh, what we want to do is a second phase here, and, and this will be probably pretty quick, is that we want to offer theological evangelistic training. And so we want guys to get there and go, okay, yeah, I want to send the gospel out. I want to personalize it. I want to send this to individuals. Uh, and the reality is, to be honest, sometimes you just don't have time and you just need to use this as a tool because you don't have time. There are so many people to share the gospel with, and many of them live across the country or different parts of the world. Uh, and, and the reality is, is that you don't get to talk to them that often. And you, and you would like to talk to them more often, but you have kids and you have a wife and you have uh, a job and you have responsibilities. And, and there's just people you just go, man, it'd just be easier sometimes to just mail them something and write them a quick note. And so it solves more problems than just evading the fear. But the reality is it's a practical tool for a lot of guys just to go, hey, I want to mail the gospel off to somebody. Uh, you met somebody at a conference or somebody's at work or whatever it might be. Um, now, I'm not saying that it should replace uh, getting out and having a conversation about the gospel but it becomes a really great tool. We also sell these tracks. When you check out, uh, you can actually add some tracks that you can just get mailed to your own house, which is important. I actually carry these tracks with me everywhere I go uh, because I get into a conversation and I'm not, I'm, I'm a theologian by all senses of the word. I, like I write theology books and I know the gospel. I, I write gospel tracks. I understand how to preach it, but I get in moments where I'll be talking to my barber about the gospel. And I specifically go to different barbershops almost every single week just so I could preach the gospel to different individuals. And so I'll be talking to them, but you know, with them having their conversation about their life and learning about their story, I might only get in three or four minutes into a gospel presentation by the time I have to leave. And so it's really nice to be able to go, hey, uh, you know, I want to leave you with this. Here's my card. Here's a gospel track. If you want to have any more conversation, let me know. So it does solve a problem of just lacking time in a very busy world. But in addition, it does help bridge that gap. I'd like to send the gospel to my boss. I'd like to send the gospel to my, my, you know, my childhood friend back in North Carolina, whatever it might be. And so, uh, but we do want to offer training. So we're not going to leave people there. Uh, very soon, we're going to offer training for these individuals that are interested in sharing the gospel on a regular basis. Hey, let us teach you how to do this in person. And then these become a tool for you, not just an actual crutch for you. And well, so that's and, definitely the, 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 uh, the trajectory. Well, I'm glad you used the word crutch because I specifically didn't use that, but I know some people will think of it that way and, you know, couch it as a negative thing, but it is about equipping. And so you're not just giving people the product, you're giving people the stuff behind the product. So I've talked about this on the show before my entry to, to the spiritual conversation with a lot of people comes through a book that I've gifted more than just about any other book. And it's by Tim Keller. And I've got my issues with Tim Keller and some of the things he said, especially lately, like what's going on with this guy. But he wrote a book that's incredibly accessible called the reason for God. And so there's a guy yesterday, you know, spent, you know, 20 years basically killing people for Uncle Sam, doesn't really get the whole spiritual side of things and all that. 
that's a book that I can send him and not drown him in, in so much stuff that he has no, he doesn't even have the words for, he doesn't even have the scaffolding in his brain for some of these things. So it's kind of the same thing that you've done here is you're creating this, this bridge to a conversation and guys just think about I've, I've said this before. One thing that I do whenever I go out to eat is right before, you know, uh, we start eating and the, the waiter or waitress says, yeah, is there anything else I can get you? I always say, Hey, uh, we're about to bless our meal. Is there anything that we can pray for you about now? Yeah. Most of the time they're like, uh, 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 I, uh, no, not really, but thank you. Or sometimes it's like, Oh my gosh, you know, my aunt just got diagnosed with cancer or, you know, I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to, to, to pay my rent this month. It's kind of hard. I, I just picked this up as a second job. I've never had anyone punch me in the face. And that in my head is the worst case scenario is they just go, ah, and then just blast me in the face. And then it's like, okay, maybe I had that one coming. You know, I, I won't let you hit me again. That was your freebie. But like, that's the kind of the deal is like, we build this thing up in our brain. Like, oh, these people are going to lose their minds and they're just going to freak out and pull out a machete and start hacking away. And so I like that this, I like the ease of this to where a guy can say, okay, this is an easy seed that can be planted that you can water later. So I appreciate you. I appreciate your team for doing that. Uh, Guys, all of that will be in the show notes so you can get there. And again, you have a bunch of great videos on the website. There's, there's a bunch of stuff there. Like if that explanation didn't really land with you to go to the website, like it, it, that's an easy way to describe it. That's an easy way to look at it. So you can kind of check that out for yourself. And again, if you're listening to this right now, you're part of the, the, the initial thing. You're, you're part of technically like the beta launch of this thing. It'll only get better as time gets out into the future. But I, I'd be remiss if, if we didn't spend maybe the last half of our time together talking about a new resource that you've put out, which is going to be aces for my audience. And it's a book called the manliness of Christ how the masculinity of Jesus eradicates effeminate Christianity. Now, my understanding is that this was kind of like a a resource that you put out on relearn. I'm assuming you got a lot of great feedback. I told you before you and I met for the first time, I actually shared that relearn article on my monthly email that I sent out to everybody. And you know, this is before we even met because of the importance of this, because here at Undaunted Life, we equip men to push back darkness. We are a men's ministry equipping men to, you know, cultivate spiritual, mental, and physical resilience on a daily basis. Like that's why we're here. That's why we're doing it. But it's the the pussification of Christ that keeps a lot of men out of the church. And yep. that's another big thing. But I want to kind of give a, a quote from early in the book that I believe is the hinge point for the book. And then you can give us a little bit of context on that and why you decided to write this. So here's the quote. My hypothesis is this, due to the feminization of Jesus, the cultural hatred of masculinity, and the lack of faithful exposition in the pulpit, we have been conditioned to not recognize the potent manliness and courageousness of Christ. Go. Amen. Yeah, so we have uh, an effeminate church because we have um, built up a caricature of an effeminate Jesus. And so the culture has, again, basically is dealing with the sin of idolatry, right? Idolatry is creating a God that we want in our own desires. And so it's not just laying down and bowing down before a shrine. It's also, idolatry is also creating a version of God that's not accurate to the scriptures. And so that's what culture has done. We've created a Roman Catholic version of Jesus where he's wearing blush and he's got his eyebrows tweezed. And that's how we, we think of Jesus. We have all of our books and it's the soft and gentle. There's a chapter that I added from the article. So I put this article out, then I added about 5,000 words or 4,000 words to the book. And and one of those is a chapter that I talk about the the most recent book by Dane Ortland, uh, who wrote a book called Gentle and Lowly. And this was like 
this is like a, a blockbuster book in the sense of, I mean, thousands upon thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of copies sold. Um, and to be honest, if you, if you read it, you go, hey, it's actually accurate to the scriptures on most, I, I would agree with it. The problem is it's a one-sided Jesus. Right. And, and that's the dilemma. And so I go, what is the other side of Jesus that the church has just conveniently avoided in this feministic era. Well, well Dale, the- like to, to that point with the feministic stuff and don't, don't lose your train of thought. Like that was why we even started what we're doing here. That's why I have a lion over my shoulder because I'm not saying, you know, seek the lamb of God to the detriment of understanding the, or seek the lion of Judah, uh, you know, you know, to the detriment of the understanding the lamb of God. But that's what most people hear me say. And it's like, no, you haven't, you have an incomplete view of who Jesus is. If you see him only as a grace giver and not a truth giver, like, uh, like if you don't see his justice, if you don't see his ferocity, you see what, like, so that's the thing that's absolutely astonishing to me, but keep going. Yeah. And if you, if you notice that I'm looking down, it's because I'm looking at the book right now, yeah, um, right. trying to get some different uh, notes out of this thing, but yeah, the, the manliness of Christ. I mean, there is a, uh, I'm actually, so the way, the reason I wrote this paper first, uh, it, it was a paper. I was finishing my last Christology class for like the very end of my seminary work uh, for actually professor and Dr. Owen Strand. Some of you guys might follow him on social media. And so he was my professor for this. And you know, when you've been in seminary for as long as I have towards the end, you basically just kind of have some free reign to just, you know, write what you want to write and and you're really communicating with your professor. And so I wrote this and he's like, man, this is, this is a really good piece. I like this idea. And I I wasn't going to publish it. I put it up as an article on the website. And then uh, I got so much feedback from that. Uh, people were saying, hey, I, if you turn this into a book, I'd use it as men's ministry. And I said, all right, well, I'll just add a, add a little bit to it. Um, and and I turned it into a book. Then I put it out on social media and I couldn't believe it. I mean, this is a small book. It's it's It could fit in your hand. You could read it in an hour. It's about 80 pages long. It's a punchy little book, which again, I, I wrote for men because guys don't have a lot of time. Um, you don't want to, here's your next 350 page book. Like that is not the thing that you want to hear uh, when you're a father and you got so many different things going on. And so um but this book, I mean, it's been bonkers in terms of the way it's been selling. Uh, so many women have bought it for their husbands on Father's Day. Uh, I'm, I'm so excited about that. But we're talking thousands of copies. I'm actually going to write another chapter and add it to the next edition. Um, and I, I, what the things I talk about is just the, the resolve of Christ, the fearlessness of Christ, the, the boldness of Christ, uh, the intensity of Christ, um, just the rawness of Christ. And one, the new chapter that I'm going to put in is the, just the intense language. Uh, you brood of vipers. He calls men liars to their face. Mm-hmm. You whitewash tombs. This is, this is like most Christians today are just cowards. They're just afraid to use these language against evil. But Jesus was just ruthless uh, in the way that he spoke to those who were standing op- opposed to him. And so there, there's some, something to be learned there. The biggest thing about the hallmark piece of the book was really, uh, I, I was reading a book called The Cross of Christ by John Stott. Right. Man, this book is just absolutely essential Christian reading, but you really learn about the resolve of Christ. Christ went to the cross knowing he was about to be just physically demolished. He went to the cross, not just knowing that, that he would actually be hung on the cross and actually be um, forsaken by the Father. Mm-hmm. I, and this is, there is still theological mystery there, but the reality is, is he was going to, to bear the wrath of God. And it says in Matthew that he says, we're going to Jerusalem and he was out ahead of us. And, and you just think about that. You go, Jesus is out ahead of us and he knows what's happening. He's leading the way. He's not, he's not um, holding back. He's not 
being fearful. He's not timid. He's out in front. And, and this is, again, it kind of reminds me of those men of World War II when you see, you know, uh, they're walking out in front to the battle mm-hmm. and they just go, if I die, I die, but this is the work that needs to be done. I'm going. That, that kind of raw masculinity you see in Christ. The problem is, is it's buried. It's buried in, in, in so many of the, the Christian churches today we have is, you know, some guy wearing a swoop neck shirt and some tight pants and, you know, let's sway your hips to Jesus and raise your hands and dance for Jesus. And it's just, we, we've lost the kind of David and Goliath imagery that was in the scriptures to represent the Messiah. And so this is the book that you just go, hey, we need to remember, we need to teach our boys what it means to be a masculine man. Dale, it's even deeper than that. I'm glad you brought up uh, David and Goliath because another problem, here we are defining all the problems of the modern Western church. Another problem that we see is that we've been convinced that we're David in that story. <laughs> that when you, you know what I mean? Like, so I remember when Matt, uh, Matt Chandler pointed this out, he was invited to go speak at uh, Elevation Church, Stephen Furtick's church years ago. And he basically went in there and burned it down and walked away where he basically, he screamed at these people and said, you're not David. Like, you're not the point. God is not about you. God is about his glory. And I remember that being like a crazy turning point for me, thinking like, I even got chills right now just thinking about that moment because it's like, how awkward. Because Stephen Furtick was like sitting on stage, like as this was happening, it was like, dude, he's burning down everything that that you've built up with your ministry. But the part of the thing is, is, you lose the personality of Christ. I'm glad you're adding this chapter. You lose his intensity when you read the Bible deadpan, right? So a lot of us need training in how just to read the Bible. And I remember there was a great book by John Eldridge a while ago uh, called uh, The Beautiful Outlaw, where every chapter was about the personality of Jesus when he was being playful or teasing or aggressive. Or like, yep. how many of you guys out there have ever said something that made a lynch mob want to kill you? Right. I've said some pretty incendiary things. No one's ever shown up outside my house, but that's what Jesus did on a regular basis. These crowds of people were trying to get together to kill him, but we, we definitely lose that. I do want to read uh, back to you, Dale, my favorite quote from the book. And, and again, just to kind of echo something you said, guys, I yep. read this on a short flight this week. I mean, uh, it's, it's, you know, widely typeset, so you can buzz through this thing pretty quickly. So, so don't get, you know, bogged down in the weeds about, oh, I got to read a book and I don't have time, but let me read this quote to you. The gender role distortion and infatuation with egalitarianism have contributed to great confusion in the church of what it means to be a biblical man or woman. It has left women fighting for leadership and left men without direction in their role in marriage, church, and family. But more than that, it has left children without visible models of biblical masculinity and femininity. In fact, I strongly believe this has been the enemy's central strategy for this generation. He has influenced the church to such a place of feminine emotion that when the time comes for masculine boldness, fearlessness, sacrifice and resolve, the church and culture will be grossly unprepared. The truth is church history is saturated with Christians being tortured, dismembered, eaten, shot, hung, racked, boxed, buried, and burned for Christ. The timidity of the current church, which submits to government overreach and complies with laws enforcing unbiblical support of sexual sin will be costly. And this is the hinge point here. The time is coming soon when the need for masculine Christian men will be intense, but their availability will be short. Okay. Now, Dale, this goes back to, you know, the thing I, I don't know who it's attributed to, but hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, weak men create hard times. That is applied directly to the church that we've had a lot of weak men that have created the hard times that we're experiencing now and the even harder times that are coming. Go ahead and give us a little bit more context behind that quote. 
Yeah. So Satan's ultimate plan in the world is that men will be boys. I mean, not his ultimate plan. His ultimate plan is to make sure people go to hell. But uh, Satan's cultural plan is that men will be boys, that women will be men, and that children will be irrelevant. Okay. And so this is what we're seeing right now is we're seeing a timidity that comes across men, keeping them to act like boys. Right. We're seeing a influence of uh, women as a result because men are cowards women become men. And, and that's just the reaction. Somebody has to be the man. Well, Dale, we see this visually. Like 10 years ago, there weren't a whole bunch of yoked up gym bro females, but in an era where we're elevating the dad bod as like, oh, this is fine and uh, this is actually preferable. Then we see at the same time, all these women that aren't just in shape, but they're jacked. And, and I know that that's, uh, I'm painting with a broad brush here, but you can see it visually. Like we don't have to operate in the spiritual realm to see this. Yeah, see, the reality is, is when you talk to sound-minded women, they really want biblical men. Even if right. they're not Christians, they exactly. want a man that is protecting, providing for them, caring for them, leading them. They, they want that. They, women don't really want the feminist agenda. They've been told that they want that. There, there is such a gross distortion of what's going on. Uh, my friends over at uh, Canon Press, I'm actually, uh, I'm actually close friends with uh, Becca and Benjamin Merkel. Becca wrote a book called Eve in Exile. Uh, ben sits on our theological advisory board, her husband. And they came up with a, a documentary called Eve in Exile that talks about restoring biblical femininity. And mm. so it's, it's a two-sided reality here, guys, is we need to not just um, learn what it means to be a man. And the only place you can learn that is Christ. He is the definition sure. of a man. Now, the other side is that we need to know what biblical femininity is so that we can lead our wives to it. Okay, so it's not, you don't just leave your wife to learn femininity on her own. You actually want to lead her in the scriptures and let the scriptures teach her femininity. And so we need to be aware. We can't guide our families to territories we are not aware of. You know, we need to be prepared to guide our children into what does it mean to be a godly boy or girl? What does it mean to be a godly woman? And so we are the leaders of our home, the pastors of our home. So we need to have a good, clear comprehension of that theological and doctrinal territory. Um, and so it doesn't mean that women don't also have a role in teaching other women. Absolutely, they do. Uh, and men teaching other men. But there is a role for a husband and a father to learn the territory to teach that to their family. And so this is just a part of that. Um, and, uh, it's just, it's just a part of, of restoring biblical manhood to the church today. And I think you brought up a few important things. I don't think you used the word just then, but it's about catechism. It's about catechizing uh, your children. Uh, there's a great book by Vody Bauckham called Family Shepherds. It's not his most famous book, but it's it's such a great book. And it was a member of my team that that turned me on to that book. And a lot of the things in that book are about catechizing your children, teaching them these things. And we live in a culture now where the question, what is a woman? doesn't have a clear answer anymore, right? And so just last week on the show, I was talking about Matt Walsh's documentary where he basically for an hour and a half shows the insanity that is currently pervading our culture on just the issue of gender. And the thing is, is these people don't not know the answer, right? They know the answer, but they know if they say it, their entire worldview crumbles, they lose power, they lose funding, they lose donors, they lose whatever. And for, for us and for the stuff that you're doing and you're helping us equipping men to push back darkness, this is a darkness in culture that if you're not equipped to push back, you won't. And that's the thing that I have liked to, I've seen in, in Christians and conservatives here recently is a little bit more fight 
Yes. And you could say, oh, Trump did that, or oh, uh, you know, culture is, you know, forcing them to do it. But Christians for forever, and I've been saying this a lot lately, they've been pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed until they've been pushed too much. And it's like, hey, you better stop that. I'm, I'm going to get mad. You don't want to see me when I'm mad. And then now it's like, no, 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 no. When we initially see the push, we're pushing back immediately. If you see, if you're walking through the library with your child and you see a drag queen story hour happening, you walk yep. over and you call that out, but go ahead. Yeah, no, this is exactly true. If you see somebody, uh, you know, carrying a pride flag or you, you, you see somebody at target, uh, putting these things up, you need to tell the, the, the cashier, you need to tell the employee because you need to make sure that silent Christianity or quiet Christianity is not biblical Christianity. And so this whole passivity where you apply, turn the other cheek to all these moral cues is stupid. We, we need to be willing to stand up and go, no, this is wicked, this is wrong. And it, it might be just talking gently to the cashier at Target going, hey, I know you guys as a company support this stuff, but just know that I don't, and I don't think a lot of people in this community do, and I believe it's wicked, and your issue's not with me, it's with God. And then walk away. you know. And so um, that just needs to happen. If, if the church, I mean, my goodness, the church is... There's still, you know, millions of Christians in the West, biblical born again Christians. If they just open up their mouth, again, speak the truth in love. I'm not saying go be rude, go be mean. Mm -hmm. um, I'm saying be aggressively, be aggression or have aggression, but don't right. do it with, with uh, angst or with maliciousness. Do it in love. And we can right. be aggressive and invasive um, without being rude. Right. And, and the same is true in the opposite. It's a small number of very, very loud people that are getting these massive changes. Think about these small groups of people that are getting Netflix to change their, their policies on what types of things they put out there. I saw recently, I think it was a George Washington University. Um, I think there's 25, 26,000 students there. Well, they got like 500 signatures on a petition to change their mascot because I think they're called the Colonials or something like that. And the, the university is going to acquiesce to it. 500 people get mad and say, yeah, this is bad and colonialism and all this, all these things that aren't based in reality. And the administration's like, oh God, well, we don't want any bad press. So we're going to go ahead and do that. But what do you think would happen if 10,000 alumni of George Washington University said, no, you're not going to do that. Like that's nonsense. Tell these kids that this is not a daycare. This is a university that they opted into and they choose to pay tuition and fees towards and they can just pay those tuition and fees towards somebody else. We're not going to coddle you and get into all that. Now, we got to wind to a close here because we got more things to do today. And I know you got a couple more of these after this, but this will be the last question of the day. In the very, very last paragraph of the book, no spoiler alert here, you say this one sentence. We must reform the church's view of manhood. So my last question of the day for you, Dale, is how? Yeah, so we need to be preaching a full expositional view of Jesus. We need men to be talking specifically about the characteristics of manhood. We have, now, there's a lot of times where we have faithful teachers that are teaching verse by verse through the Bible. That's important. The reality is, is that we can't overlook that we're dealing with certain things in the culture that need to be addressed now. And so I go, hey, I, I'm teaching through Romans right now, and I'm going to teach the Romans. But there are times where you go, it's Pride Month right now to the gay community, and we need to talk about that directly. Um, mm -hmm. The things that are plaguing the church right now is a lack of understanding for manhood. Feminism is a, is a fierce opponent to the church. We need to be speaking against this. Our biblical ladies need direction. They do. They need direction. There's very few women out there that are standing bold. Um, and then we need to be training our chil children in this. So we need to be talking about these issues. 
I, I can't stand it when churches are, they'll talk about everything but pornography and divorce and addiction and, and uh, feminist, feminism and homosexuality and transgenders. I'm like, these are the things that every Christian, when they walk out on Sunday, are spending the rest of the week they're talking about. Exactly. They need to be hearing this stuff from the pulpit. Now, right. you don't want to also become a, 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 new, a front page of the newspaper preacher. Right where you're, you're just kind of preaching whatever's the news. You don't want that either. You want to be faithful through the scriptures, book by book, verse by verse. But you just we need to find the balance of, of getting there. And I do believe that we need a reformation on our uh, eschatology, on our view, on our optimism, on our dominion, on on the fact that we have we are uh, this world is ours. We will be inheriting the earth. Um, having an optimistic eschatology. I think that there's a big issue there. And I know for some of you guys that are theology nerds, I'm a post-millennialist, um, which really is a totally different radical theology. I believe that the Great Commission will be fulfilled. I believe that, that Christ is ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father and that all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. And the church will, will continue to prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I believe these things are true and that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed and it'll become the biggest kingdom of the kingdoms. And it'll, it's like leaven and it'll leaven the entire lump. I, I believe these things means that I believe that this world is Christ, that he is the king, that he is the governing power over it, that all authority is his and that we are his people. And that through the battering ram of the gospel, we will preach it and it will continue to convert people who are sinners into saints. And that we need to be willing to get out there to preach the gospel and have optimistic real, reality of like, this is God's world. Many of you guys maybe sung, sung the, old, uh, the old hymn, My Father's World. Hmm. This is God's world. We need to start acting like it is instead of hiding in the corner. It's just going to get worse and it's just going to get bad. My Jesus is going to come back and rescue us because my daughter's probably not going to even grow old enough to get married. And why even have any more babies? Because you know what? Like it's going to all go into crap anyways. And no, no, we need to be willing to realize that, that this is I, like for me personally, I don't think Christ is coming back for a couple thousand years. And so when you understand post-millennial eschatology, Doug Wilson, James White, Jeff Durbin, you know, all of the Puritans, you know, some of the Ligonier guys have, hold this eschatology. This is important for you guys to view, to study up and look into optimistic eschatology, because I really do think it changes our aggression, our dominion, our view of this world, of our church, and of our family. Dale, we covered a lot of ground. I enjoyed it, but that's all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? If you want to pick up Manliness of Christ, you can do that at relearn.org forward slash man. Again, that's relearn.org forward slash man. Um, everything else, man, if you want to find me on social media, I have a podcast that I do every single week. It's called Real Christianity. Uh, it's, I don't know, a couple hundred episodes in and would love to have any of you men over there. I, you know, I don't know, the internet's full of women. And so we just get so many ladies. I need some more men to come over to the podcast. So yeah, come over to Real Christianity. Well, I told you beforehand about 85, 90% of my audience is men. So you're talking to the right audience. But Dale Partridge, thank you for coming on Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed my time with Dale Partridge. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. And so this guy's got a lot of things going on. So I'm going to try to get all the different links in here. So if I missed one, I'm so, so sorry. But I've got a link to Dale's website, which is a good center point for a lot of the other stuff, a link to Mail the Gospel, a link to the book, The Manliness of Christ, and also a link to his podcast and the Relearn website. So all that should be there. And if I missed something, just Google it. You can find it. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the show. We definitely appreciate 
appreciate it wherever you're listening to this. Please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.